Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. I want to talk to you today about your kingdom come and, and, and the kingdom of God. And this is actually one of the things that Jesus taught throughout Scripture. If you look at a lot of his parables, a lot of the things that he taught, he would, he would start out a lot of parables like the kingdom of God is like, and then he would begin to go through uh, different things that the kingdom of God was. There, there are different facets of the kingdom of God uh, that uh, he taught about. And, and I think uh, when, when they were anticipating the kingdom of God to come, I think a lot of the religious people uh, had a, a mindset or a thought of what the kingdom would look like and then missed out on it because the kingdom didn't look the way that they thought. I mean, even Jesus' disciples thought that the Messiah would come and would establish an earthly kingdom, would overthrow the Roman government, and then they would be able to rule uh, with, the, with Jesus on, and, and rule an earthly kingdom. But that wasn't what God had in mind. And, and I think sometimes in, when we think about the kingdom of God, first thing that kind of pops into our mind a lot of times is church and, and stuff. But honestly, what we see in the church world today really isn't what you see what Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be uh, looking at this and what does it mean for the kingdom of God to come? I, I think a lot of Christians uh, think the kingdom of God is basically you get saved and then one day you go to heaven and you get to be in the kingdom of God. And that's not what Jesus taught. So we're going to look at some of these things. We're going to start out just looking at some parables that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. Real quick, Matthew 13 is a chapter that is absolutely full of parables where Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you, but I do recommend go back and read that whole chapter and begin to do that. Even during this time while we're studying the kingdom of God, go do a Google search for that phrase, the kingdom of God, or sometimes some uh, translations will translate it, the kingdom of heaven, and just see how much it was that Jesus taught about that. But we're going to go over a few of them. The first one is in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. It says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that was hid in a field. And a man found it and he covered it up again. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. The very next verse, Jesus starts another, The kingdom is like... But it sounds very much like this one in verse 45. It says, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who was in search of fine pearls. And when finding a, a one pearl of great value, he sold all that he had and he bought it. And so if you look at these things here, the, the, one of the things that he's teaching about the kingdom of heaven is that it should be one of the most valuable things that's in your life. 
that, that here the man sold everything that he had to, to buy the field that had the treasure that was in it because of the, the value, the, how, how much it meant to him. And then the, then in the second one with the, the pearl, he sold all that he had to, to gain the, the, the pearl of great price. And, and here's the problem today. Most of us don't live our life with that type of mentality when it comes to the kingdom of God. Most of us treat the kingdom of God more like an add-on to the kingdom that we're already operating in. It's not so much that we give up all the old things in the old kingdom in order to embrace the new kingdom. What we want to do is hold on to the old kingdom, polish it up, clean it up a little bit to where it doesn't look so bad, and then invite God into our old kingdom. But Jesus said the kingdom of heaven isn't like that. The kingdom of heaven is far more valuable than any kingdom or anything that you have. And he, he's basically saying to, to forsake the old things and embrace the new thing because it's far more valuable than any other kingdom that's there. And the fact that he tells two stories that are back-to-back -back, that are almost the exact same thing, again, anytime things are repeated like that in scripture it's like putting exclamation points at the end of it it's like this is a very important thing as he is teaching his disciples and this is right after he taught his disciples the parable of the sower and the meaning of the parable of the sower and everything he's teaching them about the kingdom like he he starts out by saying the the thing that you need to realize is the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of god should be the most valuable thing that you have in your life and it, it, you would, to the point of where you would sell every other thing to have the kingdom of God in your life. Then he goes on and he begins to teach a parable called the parable of the net. In verse 47, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that is thrown out into the sea. And it gathered fish of every kind and and it was full, and, and the, men, the men drew it in ashore, and they sat down. And they began to sort the good into containers, and they began to throw the bad away. And so it will be at the end of the age that the angels will come out and will separate evil from righteousness and throw them in from righteous and throw them into a fiery furnace in that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see many times that Jesus establishes that there are two kingdoms. There is a good kingdom and there is an evil kingdom. And there is going to be a separation one day where God will draw the good to themselves and, and, and they'll be able to rule and reign with him and, and be able to spend the rest of eternity with him in their kingdom. But he also says there is another place that, that when people do not receive this kingdom as priority, when people do not receive this kingdom as first in their life, when people reject the kingdom of God, that there's going to be a separation. And it says that, it, that it's thrown into the fire. In the majority of these places, it uses the same type of verbiage. Thrown into the fire where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is Jesus saying here? There is a heaven and there is a hell. And what you do with the kingdom of God will determine heaven or hell. Not what prayer 
that you pray. Wait a minute. I was told that if I pray a prayer and repeat after me, then I would, I would be good. Show me one place where Jesus, Paul, any of the disciples said, repeat this prayer and you're going to be saved. You're not going to find it. You're not going to find it. Because Jesus didn't teach it. Jesus taught, accept me, take up your cross daily, crucify yourself and follow me. Paul said, I die daily to myself. I am crucified with Christ, but yet I live. The life that I live is not my own, but it's Christ who lives within me. There's a constant thing of dying to yourself, dying to your will, dying to your way, giving up your kingdom and embracing his. Go read Luke chapter 9 when Jesus sends out the 70 to go perform miracles and everything. He tells them, he says, foxes have holes and and, and dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay their head. Are you still wanting to follow me? One of them says, I need to go bury my father before I can do this. And it wasn't like he was in the middle of a funeral. He was saying, no, when my my dad passes away, then I'll, I'll receive my earthly inheritance, then I'll be able to come and I'll be able to follow you and he said no you let the dead bury the dead but instead you come and follow me what was he asking him he's saying you give up your entire inheritance and everything to come and follow me Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and he said all these things you've done you know he's talking about the things that he had done he he kept all the religious law and everything he said the only thing that you lack is this you need to sell what you have give it to the poor and come and follow me and he said the man went away sorrowful and Jesus didn't chase after him and say, no, come back, I didn't mean it. I, I'm real, what I really meant was if you just pray this prayer after me. He didn't do it. You're not going to find it in Scripture. When Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven, it was there is a heaven and there is a hell and you need to pick which kingdom that you're serving and there was a clear definition that the kingdom of heaven is far greater and far more valuable than anything that this world has to offer and I am inviting you to come into my kingdom and want my kingdom to come to you but he wasn't going to force it on us. He leaves it as our decision. Jesus taught the people that the kingdom of God was already near them. That it wasn't something that was one day and it was far away and untouchable and and you couldn't experience it. And, you know, it's just something to long for that, that one day we can be able to be in heaven and be able to be in the presence of God. But he told them that. The kingdom of God was there in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe in the gospel. That word repent is one word that we have majorly left out of the gospel story. 
Repentance is the turning from the old world and embracing the new world. Return, turning from the old ways of doing things. It's not just, I'm going to change my actions a little bit and I'm going to try to be better and I'm going to try to cuss less and I'm going to try to drink a little less and I'm going to try to not be so mean and I'm going to try to lie a little less and I'm going to try to gossip a little less and all of that stuff. No, it's like, no, turn from that old world and embrace the new kingdom of God that I have. Repent and believe in me. Repent means to turn completely away from. Do you realize that this thing that God is calling you to is far greater than what you're letting go of? In Luke chapter 17, he is, is talking to the Pharisees and he said that he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. And he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming in a way that can be observed or a way that you look and say, hey, here it is. Or there, behold, the, ki the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's, it's, it's not coming in the triumphant entry. It's not coming with the, the overthrow of, the, of a government. It's not coming in the way that you thought it was coming. The kingdom of God is here in your midst already. And here they were rejecting the kingdom. Even when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he talked about the kingdom and in, in how he taught them to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, he said, When you pray, you need to pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice he didn't say pray that you can go to the kingdom. Okay? So this whole mindset of we live our life here on earth and just try to be better and nicer and cleaner and, and, and sin less and all that. And then if we're good enough, then one day we'll make it to heaven is the complete opposite of what the gospel is. The gospel is you'll never be good enough. There's nothing that you could do that would be enough. But Jesus came and he loved you so much that he left his seat in heaven. He came and he uh, lived a perfect life. He was crucified. He bore your sin. He bore your sorrow. The chastisement for your peace was upon him. That He bore your iniquities and sin at the cross. And, and if you will repent from your old lifestyle, turn to him and begin to serve him and embrace his kingdom then you would be saved and you follow him and that the kingdom could come he goes on and says give us this day our daily bread forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil and some translations have it for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever amen we know that is the Lord's Prayer, and we say that is the Lord's Prayer, but I think many times we don't understand what we're praying when we're praying the Lord's Prayer. When we're praying for His kingdom to come, it, it, people talk about, say this all the time, in order for His kingdom to come, your kingdom has to go. In order for His will to be done, your will has to be set aside. 
Because I'm going to tell you this, a lot of times what the will of the Father is and what, the, what your will is come in direct conflict. Because a lot of times his will is going to lead you to serve people that you don't like. It's going to lead you to be uncomfortable. It's going to lead you to do things that you don't feel like you should have to do. To forgive people that you don't think you should have to forgive. Uh, to, to, to serve. It, like it, it, it's, it's a thing where it really is, a, is God first in your life. Is the kingdom of God the greatest thing and most valuable thing? He'll put it to the test. He'll ask you to give up things that are valuable to you, that you love, that, that are important to you, to see what's most important to you. See, later in Matthew chapter 6, he talks about that you have to put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when you would put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that he would add everything that you need unto your life. The provision, the 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 relationships, the, the clothing, the food, the whatever it is that when we put first the kingdom of God. But again, I, I think with us, especially in America, we don't understand what a kingdom is. Because we, we, we want to do everything with a democratic mindset. We want to do everything through the lens of a republic. We want to do everything through the lens of my rights. But in the kingdom, your rights are yielded to the king. In a kingdom, you're there for the purpose of serving the king. You're, you're there to honor the king. You're there to, to defend the kingdom. You're there to, to be that. And so when we pray for your kingdom to come, what do we mean by your kingdom come? When the Greek, the Greek word for kingdom is basileia, and the word basileia means this. It means authority or rule in both the world and in the hearts of men in a concrete sense. Now I want to I talk about that for a second. You can leave that definition up for a minute here. Authority or rule. This is a problem that our world has a great issue with. Because we don't like authority. The world is anti-authority. The world is be your own person, do your own thing, whatever feels good to you, whatever, you, you know, even to the point of where we don't even have the authority of what truth is anymore. That, that truth is all relative. You can have your truth, and 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 you know what we end up living in? A lie. Because there can't be a million truths. There can't even be two truths. If there are two truths, then something is alive because they're going to come in conflict. There's going to be differences there. There is one truth. And Jesus said in John 14, I am the truth. I am the way. And I am the life. And no man can come to the Father but by me. And when Jesus talked about the truth, and everything Jesus even identified the truth as being the word of God and, and when he says I am the truth in John he it says in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God in John 1 14 it says and the word came and dwelt among us in flesh and he was full of grace and truth what what is he saying he's saying that the word of God is the truth 
Like the song said, it is the firm foundation that you can build your life on. When, the, when all the chaos is going on around us, that because we are planted and rooted on the truth, Jesus even taught a parable right after Matthew 6 and Matthew 7 where he talks about the man who built his house upon the rock. The winds and waves came, but it didn't fall. It stood because it was founded on the rock of the word of God. But there's so many Christians that we are not living in the truth because we have not accepted the fullness of the kingdom of God in our life. We want bits and pieces of it. We like that blessing part. Let me take that. I like the part where I can feel good about myself if I do some things. I don't like the part about suffering. I don't like the part about giving. I don't like the part about serving. I don't like the part about denying myself. So I'm going to lay those aside. And the problem is, is we're stuck between two kingdoms. And we got this constant pull. I know what God's word says. Oh, but they're telling me this. I know what God's word says, but that's really going to hurt. And we're caught in the middle between two kingdoms. One person says, like sitting on a fence. And you know who owns the fence, huh? The devil. <laughs> Come on, y'all are the old country preachers. They like all them illustrations like that. But it's true. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. Because you're going to love one and hate the other. Who's your master? Do you really want God's kingdom to come? Like, I mean, we, we like the idea of revival. We like the idea of this type of thing. It seems really exciting to see all these people say... But the way that we see the revival and the transformation and the things that we read about in, in Scripture is by a total abandonment to what the kingdom of God wants and directs. The disciples had to leave homes. The disciples had to set aside things. The disciples, John and James, were, in, were to inherit this massive fishing company and stuff. And they had to forsake their, their 401k to embrace the gospel. And they never even thought of it. Never thought twice about it. Because they wanted the kingdom of God to come. But it says rule. Who rules? And, it, and this, is, this is the other part that you have to understand. Like Sometimes when we think the kingdom come, we just think like, like a little touch of heaven here on earth. And make the community better. And make the leaders better. And, and all of that. But, but it does, it, it's not just the kingdom coming to the, the community or the environment. It's the kingdom coming to the hearts of men. Why is it this scripture talks so much about the heart? Why did Proverbs write about the, the heart uh, uh, of men uh, that, that we're supposed to guard the heart with all diligence? Proverbs 4.23, because out of it flow the issues of life. Why is it that... that uh, in Ezekiel, it says he even takes the heart of stone out and gives us a heart of flesh. He's, he's given us a, a fresh start in our heart to, to bring the kingdom there. It, it's like the, the, the uh, parables in, in Matthew 13 are all about the conditions of the heart and how you receive the word of God. Like throughout scripture, you will constantly see a reference to the heart, to the heart, the heart, the heart, the heart. Why? Because it's the very center of what runs our life. It's the very center of life. And God says, I want to be at the center of your life. I want to be the wellspring of life. 
So I need to, I need, the kingdom needs to come to your life. And, and it says, in a concrete sense. That phrase, concrete sense, means in a way that is perceived by senses. In a way that is evident to others. Think about this, when you got saved... Did it impact you in such a way that people around you were like, something is different about you? Like, I can't, like, the way you even talk, the way you look, like, you, you, you've got joy. There, there's something about you. There, there's something that's changed. Did, did you even notice it? Because there's a lot of people who pray to prayer and they're like, yeah, I got saved. But they can still sit in front of the same filth, say the same jokes, participate in the same junk, and never feel anything different about it. I just want to let you know something. If that's you, you ain't saved. Well, you don't know me. I know fruit. And fruit of salvation is... The Spirit of God moves into your life, and he begins to convict you of those things. I mean, I, I hear stories about, like, Maria Durso, who gets radically saved, and, and I mean, she lived this, this life, and it's like, she's like, nobody told me that I wasn't allowed to, that I shouldn't be sleeping with my boyfriend anymore. I knew it inside. I knew it was wrong. Nobody told me I shouldn't be wearing a miniskirt and stuff like that anymore. Inside, I knew it was wrong. Like, when someone is genuinely saved, we don't even have to really teach them what they shouldn't do. Because every time they start getting near something they shouldn't do, there's something going on in their heart like, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And if there's not, that's what Jesus said is my spirit's going to come and it's going to come dwell inside of you and his role is to convict of sin and judgment and righteousness to come the role, one of the biggest roles of the Holy Spirit is to say ah don't do that don't say that the fact that so many people like, I feel like I'm the worst sinner in the world and, and, and I could never do anything for God. The fact that you actually feel bad about the sin that you've done means that the Spirit of God is inside of you telling you that you need to change that. That's a sign of salvation. If you can sin and God doesn't deal with you anymore, then that tells you that something isn't right. Because Hebrews 12 says that who God loves, he chastises, he deals with, he convicts, he deals in their heart. So has the kingdom came to our life or not? When we decide what we do, do we do it based on what we want to do? Or we do, do we do it based on what God's rule says we're to do? What God's spirit, like... Do people, when they look at your life since you've been saved, do they see a difference? What is the most important thing in your life? When the kingdom of God comes, it's evident. When Jesus said the kingdom of God is in your midst, he, he didn't just say it hypothetically. He demonstrated it in, what, in his life and what took place. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. But beyond all that, some of the most amazing things that he did was just love people that nobody else did. The woman caught in adultery, 
Jesus didn't condemn her. Jesus didn't rub her face in her sin. Jesus gave her hope. He even defended her. Okay, all of you without sin, go ahead and throw a stone. Everybody walks away and then he looks at her and he says, where are those people who are condemning you? Come on, get up. Go and repent. What is the repent part? Sin no more. Walk away from it. This lifestyle that you've been living, walk away. And she got up and walked away. What about the Samaritan woman? She even wanted to talk religion. Well, they say you're supposed to pray on this mountain. They say you're supposed to pray on this mountain. He's like, I ain't worried about where you pray. Doesn't matter which. It's not about where you pray. It's who you're praying to. I've got something that I want to give you. And if you taste of the waters that I give you, you'll never thirst again. You have everything that you need if you have me. But how many Christians are still running through life trying to find fulfillment in money and fame and possession and accomplishments and, 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 and hobbies and, 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 and their toys and their houses and the things that they get? Instead of realizing what Jesus told that woman was, all you need is me. If you have me, that's all that you need. The love that he showed people. Matthew 12 Jesus is casting out demons and the Pharisees start confronting him. And, and I'll show you where him casting out demons is a demonstration of the kingdom of God. And verse 24 says, but the Pharisees heard, uh, they, they said that, that he cast out a demon. He said, well, the, only Beelzebub, the prince of demons, can uh, cast out demons. And Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said, every kingdom that is divided against itself is laid to waste. I want to read that one more time because I think this is very important in the church world today. Every kingdom that is divided against itself is laid to waste. So when we're denomination against denomination and all this stuff like that, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be a kingdom that's laid to waste. And the last time I checked, the kingdom of God would never be laid to waste. So all of the division was never part of God's plan. Because all that leads is to a kingdom that will not be able to stand. He says, so Satan casts out Satan. He's divided against himself. And how will his kingdom stand? But if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your son cast them out? Uh, therefore, they will be your judges. So he's telling them, like, if, I'm, if they can only be cast out by Beelzebub, then those Pharisees who have cast out demons, I guess they're of Beelzebub too, huh? Like he throws it right back in their lap. The accusation. Well, I guess that means you're, you guys are of the devil too. Knowing that oh, now they're offended by that. But then he hits them again. He said, but if it's by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then you have to realize that the kingdom of God has come among you, has come upon you. The very fact that we have the power to do this shows that the kingdom is here. Guys, we've seen so many lives changed and people transformed and people in addiction and things, all those things being broken. And it's proof, it's evidence that the kingdom of God is here. 
He's teaching his disciples it's not about just what you do. Because after this, as he's talking about seeing first the kingdom of God, then he goes into uh, chapter 7 and he starts talking about, you know, judge not unless you be judged. The measure that you judge, you're going to be judged. First take the, 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 uh, plank, uh, the, the plank out of your own eye, then you see clearly to take the speck out of your, your, your brother's eye. And so he talks about how we're not supposed to be judging one another and everything. He says, but you do need to do this. You need to test a tree by its fruit. You can know a tree by its fruit because a good tree is going to produce good fruit. A bad tree is going to produce bad fruit so when you're looking at things and you're trying to decide what's right what's wrong look at the fruit if you've got somebody who says I'm a believer and I love God I'm serving God especially all you single people then you're looking for a spouse and you're you're, you're hoping to find somebody and people know that you're a Christian and they'll even come to church with you and, and sit in church with you and stuff but look at the fruit because a good tree isn't going to produce bad fruit. A good tree isn't going to say, I'm a believer, but then trying to convince you you need to sleep with them. Last time I checked, that's bad fruit. <laughs> I don't care what the world says. Remember, it's not everybody's own truth. It's what does the word say? Sex outside of marriage is sin. Right? He even goes on as far as in Matthew 7, 21, he says, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father. Why does Jesus tell you to pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done? Because this passage right here says that the ones who say, it's not about what you do. Because they said, we cast out demons in your name. We healed the sick in your name. We preached in your name. We did all these things in your name. And he'll look at them and say, you know what? Depart from me because I never knew you. In other words, you're not of my kingdom. You did a lot of things for which you perceived to be my kingdom. But it's not about what you do. It's about what's inside your heart. And a person who is a part of the kingdom of God, if the kingdom of God has come to your life, the kingdom of God has come to move among you, you have a desire to do what God asks. It's not, I have to do it because uh, they're going to bug me if I don't sign up or if I don't serve, if I don't give, uh, they're going to bug me and all that stuff. No, 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 you want to do it. You can't serve enough. You can't give enough because you realize all the things that you were forgiven of. You realize all the things that God uh, gave you in exchange. That, 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 that what you are stepping into is a far greater kingdom of far greater value than anything else. And so you're just a, glad to even be able to be a part of it. That's why David said, I don't care about being a king of an earthly kingdom. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. I'd rather be the person opening the door for everybody and saying, welcome to our heart church. Than to have all the riches and the fame and the position. I don't need that. This is far more valuable. There's a problem in the church world today. 
inside every church, depending on the attendance of that church, there's an abundance of kingdoms that are there. Because so many individuals are living for their kingdom with God as an add-on versus saying, forget my kingdom, I want yours. Forget my will, I want yours. Forget my plans, I want you. I trust that your plan is far greater than anything that I can come up with. And so it doesn't matter what they're telling me. It doesn't matter what people are saying to me. You know how many people have told me, you need to go into engineering. You need to go into business. You need to go into this, in computers. You need to go into the medical field. You need to go into all this stuff. You're too smart to go do something like that. Like, what if I would have done that? Look, I'm telling you, all you teenagers that are in here, especially those that are seniors, you don't need to know what your mama's plan is for you. You don't need to know what somebody else thinks you need to do. You need to know what God wants you to do with your life. You need to be, God, I want your will. I want you to show it to me and demonstrate it to me. See, here's the amazing thing. God doesn't hide his will from us. And some of us, we get so bogged down in trying to, well, what's the detail of God's will for me? Who does he want me to marry? What job does he want me to have? What does he want me to say? What do you, you know, all these things. And we want all the big picture details of what the will of God is for us. And, and we're so focused on the big picture things that we neglect the day-to-day things that he's already told us are his will. And that's what we're going to get into in this series. Because Jesus, the same way, you know, a, a good parent or, or someone will make a will that will talk about what their desires are, that when they, when they pass away, how, where, where their kids will be raised or, or how the, their money will be spent or how what they, their wealth and things would be divided. We plan out and write out our will so that people can know afterwards what is to be done Jesus wrote out his will. God wrote out his will. And it's called the Bible. And there's so many of us that are worried about, well, where does he want me and who does he want me to marry that we forget about the day-to-day things that he's already told us are his will for our lives. It's his will that we're in relationship with him. It's his will that we love one another. It's his will that we serve one another. It's his will that we honor one another. It's his will that we put first his kingdom and not ours. It's his will that we forgive. It's his will that we release people. Like there's so many things the scripture already tells us are his will. It's his will that we tell others about Jesus. That's the whole reason. I am leaving the Holy Spirit with you so that you can be witnesses of me. But how many of us refuse to tell our co-workers about what Jesus has done in our life? And we're worried about the big picture will of God. And we're not walking in the daily will of God. Who has God put in your life? See, if you're the light of the world, you're a city on a hill that cannot easily be hidden. People will see the good works in you. And they'll glorify the Father. 
There's so many things that are already written out in his will that we're supposed to do. That we neglect and we ignore. But this isn't a condemnation thing of you heathens, you're not obeying God. This is a thing of, he said, if we realize that we're on the wrong path, repent. Repent. There's two aspects that lead to revival. You know what they are? Repentance and prayer. You know what the least attended services are in a church? Prayer. So we have a prayer service Wednesday, right? Scripture tells us that we're supposed to be praying for one another. Prayer is an opportunity to join together and lift up one another, minister to one another, encourage one another. Oh, but I got a game that night or I got, I, I, I was planning on going out to eat dinner with this person. Go eat dinner with them and then come here. This is, this is the thing, guys. Your will and what you want to do will always conflict with some of the things that God clearly says he wants us to do. Who wins when there's a conflict? It's easy to follow God and say the kingdom of God is first in my life when there's no conflict. It's easy for me to love my wife when we're not in disagreement about anything. That's the easy part. But what about when there is a conflict? What do you do? There's so many things that the Word of God already teaches us for His will. And if we're seriously going to pray, I want your kingdom to come. And your will be done. Then it means we're, we're going to have to change some things. There's a new level of commitment. Guys, we've watered down what Christianity is for far too long and then wonder why we don't see signs and wonders and miracles. Because the kingdom of God doesn't come where he's not invited. The kingdom of God doesn't come where he's not the supreme rule and authority. He's not going to submit to your will, your emotions, and what you want to do. He wants you to submit all those things to him. And when you submit those things to him and you desire his kingdom to come, that's when we'll see the miraculous. But it starts with each individual. You can't change what happens in the community, but you can change what happens here. Is God the rule and authority in your heart? And if he's not, then you take the first step and you repent. And you ask God to forgive you. And you ask God to give you that fresh start. And maybe you're in here and you say, Pastor Brandon, I, when I asked, when I prayed the prayer, I didn't feel convicted of sin. I didn't. Then God shared this message with you. Not to look at you and say, oh, you're a heathen. But to say, you were deceived. There's a far greater relationship. And if you invite me in, behold, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. 
but I want you to let me in. Not just to be a savior, but to be Lord of your life. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.